So this week we continue our journey down the Faith Hall of Fame that we find in Hebrews 11. The implications of the text this week are pretty heavy. They are, they are weighty. There's a lot of them. And though there may be a lot to digest, it is also clear as we work through the text, they are such amazingly good news for us. May each of us be blessed by what the Lord is saying to us in this text this morning. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, just two verses, 28 and 29. Hebrews 11, 28 and 29. We read the word of the Lord. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So growing up, we, uh, we had a bunch of trees in our yard. As a little boy, it was my intention to conquer most of, uh, of those trees. I, I mean, I wanted to, to conquer all of them. That was, that was my goal. But there was, there was one tree that was not very conducive to climbing. Most of them had, had nice big branches that were the right height, you know. I mean, I'm like seven or eight, and I wasn't a big, like, nine, ten-year-old. I just wasn't a very big kid. And so I needed the branches to be a little lower so I could get onto them and then, and then scale the rest of the tree. Most of them were pretty conducive to climbing, but there was one that was not. It, it had a, a long, like, thin trunk, and then it, it veed, right? So, it, like, it split. And I was too small to be able to get my hands into that V to try to pull myself up. And there wasn't any branches that were around that I could really, it was just, it was just the, the trunk of this tree. I remember sitting in the shade of the tree, studying it, trying to figure out ways to conquer it, ways to get up there. And then one day I came up with a plan. Dad had just bought some rope. And I knew where it was in the garage, so I went and I, I grabbed the rope and I tied one end to a football helmet and I threw it over one of the bigger branches. After a few attempts, I, I finally managed to get the throw right and I, I untied the, the end from the helmet and then I, I tied the rope into a loop and put it around my waist. And my plan was to pull myself up to leverage myself up into the tree, right? So I've got the rope like around my waist and then I've got the thing and I'm like pulling myself up. That's, that's the plan. There were some issues. A couple issues. My arms had a hard time pulling my weight against the friction of the rope against the tree. And so I was able to get myself a little ways into the air, but then my arms started to get very, very tired. The other issue was that the loop I had made was more of a lasso than a loop. And so the rope started cinching around my waist as I'm pulling it up, right? It's getting tighter and tighter around my, around my stomach. But I refused to let go of the rope because I didn't want to give up the ground that I had already gained. But I was starting not to be able to, to breathe because the rope was squeezing me around my waist. 
So there I was, stuck. Got the rope, got the rope around my waist. It's squeezing me. I can't, I can't really breathe, but my feet are off the ground, and I'm just like hanging there in the front yard, totally in need of rescue. Have you ever been in need of rescue? Have you ever been in a situation where you, you just didn't have the strength, the, the energy, the desire, or the ability to get yourself out of it? A situation that you knew wasn't good, a, a place in life that you knew wasn't healthy, but that you lacked the ability to get yourself out of. The circumstances of life have a way of, of smacking us in the face, a way of trapping us in ways that we feel helpless against. I remember being on the boat in Alaska, being tossed by the waves, and though I was completely safe, all I could think about was how I wanted to be rescued from my current situation. I wanted off that boat. I wanted out of there. Or when I'm on a plane and the turbulence picks up, and I get that feeling in my stomach, that, that feeling that acknowledges that I'm trapped in this technological tube, there's nothing I can do about it. And part of me just wants to scream, and part of me wants to take some drugs so I can go to sleep and forget where I am because I feel trapped. I need rescue. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are. I don't know where you feel trapped. I don't know if it's a relationship, if it's a job, if it's an illness. I don't know what it is for you. But do you feel trapped in the circumstances of your life? Maybe you can't relate to any of that. Maybe you aren't stuck dangling from a tree in a trap of your own making. We have plenty of other traps that we get stuck in, don't we? We're really good at getting stuck in traps. The sin that, that tempts us, the sin that our body begs us to do and our heart tells us is wrong, is a constant trap. And again, I don't, I don't know what sin you are trapped in. I don't know what your favorite place to fail is. But I know what mine are. I don't know what yours are. I don't know if you struggle with, with gossip, if you are trapped by lust and the easy access the internet or your spouse's friend or your neighbor or your coworker provides. I don't know if addiction to wealth, status, alcohol, or other substances is abusing you, manipulating you, trapping you. I don't know if it's envy that has taken root in your heart and robbed you of joy. I don't know if, if you have an issue with truth and so you lie to protect yourself and others from what you perceive to be reality. I don't know if it's the pursuit of perfection, an impossible standard that you have set for yourself that you can't possibly ever reach. And so you are lost in despair and self-loathing. I don't know what sin is trapping you. What sin has a hold on you? There's a good chance that I didn't list it here. But you know what sin has a hold on you, just like I know what sin has a hold on me. Regardless of the details of our sin, the form that our pet sin takes, the reality is that we are all trapped by it. That we cannot be free of it, we cannot escape it on our own. We need help. We need to be rescued. 
And in this reality, we have much in common with the people of Israel in our text this morning. The people are in bondage in Egypt. They are unable to set themselves free, to to get themselves out of the slavery that they find themselves in. And so God sends them a rescuer. He sends them a man that we are all very familiar with. He, He sends to them Moses. And Moses, though not the most willing participant in the beginning, goes to Egypt and tells Pharaoh to let his people, the people of Israel, to let his people go. And Pharaoh laughs at him and says, no, not, not going to do that. It's not going to happen. And then we embark on a series of plagues. And each plague attacks a god of the Egyptians, something that the Egyptians worship. For example, they worship the Nile. It's the river, the, the waters that... The, that waters their fields, quenches their thirst of themselves and their animals. It is it's what gives them life. And Moses turns this life-giving river to blood. They worship Ra, the, the sun god, and, and one of the plagues brings absolute darkness, blotting out the power of the sun. Each plague is an attack on something the Egyptians worship so that God might establish his authority, his power, over that of his rivals. And despite all of these displays of power, the Pharaoh of Egypt stays resolute. He stays firm. He will not let the people of Israel go, no matter what his no matter how his gods are mocked, no matter how much power the God of Israel puts on display, no matter how uncomfortable these plagues are making life for him and his people, he will not let Israel go free. And then we have the last plague. The plague that our text talks about this morning. God went to Moses and and told Moses to gather the people of Israel and that they should each kill a lamb, a lamb without defect or blemish. And they should take the blood of that lamb and cover the doorposts of their houses. They should put blood on the sides of each of the door and then up on the, on the, uh, the, the top of the door. For that night, the angel of death was coming. And if your door was marked by the blood, then the angel of death would pass over your house. But if your house was not marked by blood, the angel of death would be paying you a visit. And so they did. Why? Why did they do it? Faith. Our text says it was by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. It was by faith that they listened to the Lord and it was by faith that they were rescued. You see that night the angel of death, the one our text calls the destroyer of the firstborn, visited the land and he passed over those of the blood and to those that were not covered by the blood. He killed the firstborn son, whether it was a person or an animal. The firstborn did not make it through the night. And a great wail went up from Egypt. And Pharaoh called Moses to him and told him to get his people out of his land. And so it is through the smiting of the firstborn of Egypt, as it is called in Psalm 135, that God sets his people free from slavery. And then once the people have left, you know, Pharaoh comes to his senses a little bit. He he recognizes, he realizes what he's done, and he rallies his army, and he sets off to bring them back. Meanwhile, the people have 
reached a large body of water known as the Red Sea. And, and the people of Israel, they, they look behind them and they see the armies of Egypt coming, right? So, so looking, and they can see the armies of Egypt, but on the other side, they've got the barrier of the Red Sea and they're trapped. But then the Lord tells Moses to raise his staff and to stretch his hand out over the waters. And he does so, and the Red Sea parts, and the people of Israel walk through the waters. They pass through the waters on either side. And as our text says this morning, they made this journey through faith. There was no guarantee that they wouldn't get halfway through and those walls wouldn't come tumbling down. The Israelites certainly weren't going to do anything to keep the water split like that. They, they weren't in any control here. They had no control over what was going to happen. It was by faith that they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. Again, it was faith that rescued them. Faith rescues. And we may look at that and say, hey, that's, you know, that's great for them. That's great for the Israelites and all that, but, but that happened thousands of years ago. How does the freedom they receive through faith have anything to do with me and the things that I need rescue from today? It's a great question. And it has a fantastic answer. You see, the Exodus, God freeing Israel from slavery, the stories we looked at this morning, is the primary redeeming act of God on behalf of Israel. The Exodus is the means that he used to set them free. The Passover, crossing the Red Sea, are the same means that he uses today with us and the bondage that we find ourselves in. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul equates the passing through the Red Sea to baptism. Baptism. So here are these people, right? Death is coming for them. It is inevitable. They have no way of escaping it on their own. And in order to be free from this death, this, this spiritual death, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. They pass through the waters of baptism and they are saved. They didn't do anything to earn it. They didn't participate in any way. Their actions do not contribute to them being saved. They did not split the waters and reveal dry ground. God did all of the work here. No, for as our text states so clearly this morning, it is by faith that they cross through the Red Sea. Faith. It is by faith that they were baptized. Faith, trust that it saves. Faith that what Paul wrote is true, that he penned the words. The oh-so-comforting words in Galatians. That when we have been baptized in Christ, we have put on Christ. Through baptism, God no longer sees our sin, but sees his Son. Through baptism, the horrible things that trap us, the sins that torment us, and the sins that we favor are covered by Jesus. Through baptism, we are given the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and he is the one that enables us to fight against our desire to sin. Through baptism, we are saved. Through baptism, we are set free. What a gift. 
What a pronouncement, what a promise. Baptism is not an act that we perform, but instead we are rescued from spiritual death through our baptism, just as Israel was rescued from death at the hands of the Egyptians thousands of years ago. In the Passover, as the visit of the angel of death to Egypt that night has come to be called, has taken on a particular significance for us as well. You see, it was at Passover, on his last night amongst his friends, that Jesus instituted communion, or what we often call the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are forgiven. The sin that haunts you, the grief and shame and guilt that the devil reminds you of in his attempt to keep you in chains. Friends, none of that has any power over you. Than you, any more power over you than you let it have. For you are forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, you have been forgiven. He paid the price. He took the guilt, the shame, the grief, and he died for it. He doesn't let you pay any of it. He died for all of it, and so the chains that have bound us have been thrown off. Because of Christ, we are free from our slavery to sin. For just as the angel of death passed over the houses of those marked by the blood of the Lamb, so the judgment of God passes over those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Instead, the angel of death struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Would you believe me if I told you that the striking down of the firstborn of Egypt is actually redemption language? How can that be? They were innocent children. Pharaoh's son didn't participate in their refusal to let the Israelites go. He didn't crack the whip over their heads. He was just a young boy. How could this be redemption language? And then we remember that it was the smiting of his own firstborn. It was the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that has purchased our freedom. And that as our text proclaimed this morning, that through faith in him, we are set free. Think about that. Rest in that. God struck down his own son that we might be free. His judgment did not pass over innocent Jesus. It passed over us on his account. I don't know how long I hung from that tree with the rope cinching up my waist. I wasn't there long enough to do any real damage, but I remember losing my breath and and wondering if I was going to die there in that silly, ridiculous, embarrassing situation. And then my father came around the corner of the house and he rushed over to me and he picked me up and he untangled me from the rope and, and I don't know who held tighter, but I know whose arms were stronger. And I cried into my father's shoulder, rejoicing in the safety that I felt there, the comfort and shelter I felt there. And I thanked him for saving me. There's something I heard Chad Bird say recently that really stuck with me. He said this. If there's anything the Old Testament teaches us through its stories, stories like Ruth, Judges, and the Exodus, It is that God likes to get down into the nitty-gritty, bloody, tear-filled holes into which his people fall. 
He goes with them into exile. He is with them wherever they are because he is not the kind of God who is content to sit on his throne and flex his divine muscles. He's the kind of God to be where his people are. Which is exactly what the Exodus is all about. Again, I don't know what traps you find yourself caught in this morning. I don't know what traps you will willingly fall into when you walk out that door. But as you sit and as you leave, know that God has done the work for your rescue. He has not abandoned you. He is beside you in the dirt and the dark. And he alone has the power to rescue. He alone has come and lifted you out of the snares and the traps that you have fallen into. He longs to hold you in his huge, protective, safe, and secure arms. Rest in the faith that God has given you. For faith rescues. What a fantastic, amazing, and wonderful God we serve. Amen.